So how many gifts do you suppose it will be this year? How many, if you kept track, how many gifts do you suppose that would have accumulated over the years of receiving gifts? You know the ones I'm talking about? Talking about the, the gifts, the ones that you really, really wanted. The ones that you convinced yourself and you convinced others that you really, really had to have. The ones that quickly went unused or stored away or even re-gifted. If you were to take the time uh, at some point over the holidays uh, to, to go through your storage in your home or a, a storage unit if you have it or an attic or a garage and you looked back at, at all of the stuff that you have accumulated, how many of those things, how many of those items do you suppose at one time were things that you absolutely had to have, which now, well, there they are, stored away, stuffed away. They were so important to you, you had to have them, but it turns out maybe you didn't want them as much as you thought. Now, this isn't a sermon about materialism or chastising you for having stuff. The point is that I think a humility can be a lot like so much of that stuff. It's something that we, we think we really want. But the deeper we get into, as we've looked at these last several weeks, the is the reality of, of what we think we want. Do we want it as much as we, as we think? Or is humility rather one of those noble, those virtues that we know God wants us to have and we know that as Christians, honestly, we should pursue it. It should be on our Christmas list, not just on our Christmas list, but something that we pursue year-round, always working on humility. But the fact of the matter is that when it comes right down to it, we don't like to part with our pride. And that's exactly what humility forces us to do. Humility means giving up on the one thing that I'm really, really good at, me. That I do really well. And so humility sounds nice, but if you mean that I actually have to not just listen to Jesus' words, but actually take them to heart and apply them when he says, deny yourself, and follow me, well, maybe humility is just something that is a, a nice thought and I'll, I'll leave it at that and not really be interested in much more than that. Because it's a painful process to part with our pride and that's what humility asks us to do. Speaking of that pain, I use a different, different uh, a phrase, I suppose, at the, the introduction this morning, but but another one that could also apply is, is the one that most of us are familiar with. No pain, no gain. Which would seem like an odd phrase this time of year. You're probably not going to open any Christmas cards and see in the middle, no pain, no gain. And, and if you've been paying attention to the words we've been singing in any hymns throughout Advent or over the Christmas season, you're not going to find those words anywhere, no pain, no gain. If you make your way over to Hobby Lobby to add to your Christmas decor, you're not going to find any wall art that has in some nostalgic font the words, no pain, no gain, to put up over Christmas. But maybe that's actually quite an appropriate phrase when it comes to what we've been talking about these last three weeks. Humility. Being humble. 
It is a painful process. And if any one of you here deny that and, and try to convince me that you enjoy it, that you like it, I would say that there's something wrong with you. Because none of us likes to have our faults exposed. Not one of us likes to be painted into a corner. Not one of us enjoys being in a dead end where our excuses and our rationalizations and our justifications for our sin just won't hold any water. And that's exactly what repentance does. Repentance exposes all of that and acknowledges that I am nothing before God. And that is a very painful process. But it's also a very necessary one. And while we've been focusing on that aspect of humility the last three weeks, today we get to, to rejoice because today we have the assurance that God isn't going to leave the humble in their humility, but promises to lift up the humble. And as you heard in our gospel, we have just an absolutely beautiful example of what humility looks like in two women who are central to the account of our Savior's birth, Elizabeth and Mary. Now, as you heard the words, maybe you recognize that the, the bulk of that section of Scripture is, really gets its attention because of what we've come to refer to as the Song of Mary or the Magnificat. If you open up to the front part of your hymnals, you'll find that that very song is a part of one of our orders of service because the church has, throughout the ages, seen such value in, in the beauty of Mary's song here that it has retained its use in even our orders of worship. But that's not the only beauty to be taken away from this account. Before we get to Mary, look at Elizabeth and see in her a beautiful example of humility. Did you notice how she responded when Jesus arrived, or when the mother of Jesus, when Mary arrived? Luke tells us in the first chapter, Picking it up with verse 41, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? A couple of things, if you're not familiar with the background here, remember that Elizabeth herself was pregnant as well after being barren her whole life. Could you have seen this encounter going another way? Here shows up Mary to share her joyful news. Hey, good news, I'm going to be the mother of the Savior. And Elizabeth says, oh, well, good for you. I'm just having a regular old baby. No big deal. Do you see how easy it would have been for for Elizabeth to be bitter, to resent Mary, maybe just a little bit, to steal her thunder. This was a big deal for Elizabeth to have a child of her own. And now here comes Mary with her great news about being the mother of the Savior. But we don't see that attitude from Elizabeth at all. And not only that, the way that she speaks, as Luke just described it for us, she's actually humbled. She says, who am I? Why do I deserve to have the one who's going to be the mother of my Lord, the promised Messiah? Why do I deserve to have you in my presence? A beautiful example of humility. And Mary then follows it up by taking a page out of that same book as you look at her belt out into her song. And notice, this is not a self-centered song 
about all of Mary's accomplishments. She doesn't break out into this song to simply record or share with Elizabeth all of the legitimate reasons that that Mary would have to say, well, I mean, look at my track record. I can see why, why I would have been chosen to bring the Savior into the world. I mean, there's this and this and this. Her whole song is not focused on, it's not filled with me's, but rather with he's. He has done this. He has done that. Look at what God has done for me and for his people throughout history. So you see in these two examples, a wonderful illustration of what humility looks like. In Mary's case, notice you have a couple of, of takeaways to grasp what humility looks like. Humility doesn't toot its own horn. It doesn't announce its presence in the room. It's no longer humility in that case. Rather, the only way that you see humility is when the focus, when the attention is on someone else, which is exactly what both Elizabeth and Mary demonstrate. And then when Mary belts out into her song, speaking about all of the he's, all of the good things God has done, really she kind of summarizes all that he's done into two categories. One, he has and he will either humble the haughty, and the other category is that he promises to lift up the lowly. You see those phrases, different ways that Mary depicts that in her song. Look at how she describes what God has done in the past. In verse 51, He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has sent the rich away empty. Different pictures of how God is going to treat, how he's going to humble the haughty. The individual that thinks that in his inmost thoughts he's fine as long as pride is tucked away there is, is, is okay, that he can keep it hidden from God. Mary makes it clear God is going to scatter, he is going to shoo those individuals that in their pride think they have an audience before the Lord. They somehow deserve something from him. Those who, who attain any sort of position of power or authority, being a, a king, a dictator, a ruler, who think that they pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, that they achieved that on their own. Mary sings and says, the Lord is going to remove them. He's going to bump them off of their, their high horse and humble them. And those who who look to their wealth as some sort of an accomplishment or achievement, bringing their ledger before the Lord to see, look what I have earned with my own hard work and my, my financial prowess, and they place their trust in that, the Lord is going to send them away empty handed. Just a few different pictures of how the Lord is going to humble the haughty. Pride is, is such a such a unique challenge, isn't it? Because in our own minds, our pride is justified. But here's why it's so tricky. We wouldn't say that we justify our pride because we know we shouldn't call it that. We don't identify it in ourselves as pride. We just simply recognize that I don't have as much for which to be humble as other people do. Quite frankly, I'm I'm pretty okay at this. I mean, Look at all the empty seats in the pews around me. Yet I'm here. I mean, how much do I give to the Lord? 
I'm active in my church. I this, I that, I the other thing. So no, I wouldn't say that I'm full of pride, but I would acknowledge there are other people who have more reasons to be humble than I do. And that's what makes pride so dangerous, so, so devastating. It's, it's hard for us even to observe it in ourselves because we see pride in other people. We don't see it in ourselves. But rest assured, there's only two ways that the Lord is going to handle everybody. He's either going to humble the haughty or, as Mary also alludes to, he's going to lift up the lowly. She described that as well in the same verses in her Magnificat. Verse 51, or verse 52 rather, He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has lifted up the humble. That's good news for those of us who realize that we have no business bringing anything before the Lord in hopes of being able to bargain or barter with him, in hopes of being able to show him some sense of worth, that we deserve something from him. He says he'll lift you up. And those who are, who are hungry, those who are thirsty, those who are starving for the spiritual goods that, that only God has, Mary reminds us that he's going to fill us with good things. And what are those good things that he fills us? When we come to him, not only empty-handed, but empty-hearted, confessing everything before him that we deserve nothing from him, he promises to lift us up, to fill us up with his grace and his forgiveness. He assures us when we approach him in humility, when we approach him as the lowly individuals that we are, that he will lift us up. And do you know why it is that God doesn't have any time for those who are proud? Because his schedule is filled with raising up those who have been humbled and filling them with his good blessings. Blessings that aren't just for eternity, for us to wait until Jesus returns again, but blessings that are for us now, that are so much a part of, of this season and Christmas. Blessings of joy and peace. Blessings of, of hope. Blessings of, of knowing that there is so much more than just this world. Blessings that allow us to enhance and amplify every other good thing in this world. Rest assured, he is going to lift up the lowly and fill us with good things. So knowing those are the ways that, that the Lord, the mighty one that, that Mary spoke of in her song, is going to handle, that that's how he's going to deal with people, either to humble the haughty or lift up the lowly. Which, into which category do you want to place yourself? Because it's, it's one thing for us to, to all say, we know the right answer. We know the answer is, well, I want to be humble. I want to be lowly to know that I'm going to be lifted up. But remember, that's not an easy process. Do you really want that? Or do you just say you do? Do you just think you should pursue it because that's what God wants and, and that's what others are looking for in you? But in reality, humility is just kind of a, a pain to pursue. Or are there going to be things that you can actually stop and take stock in in your life to check your, your attitude and how you interact with others? And where your heart is, is it consistently self-centered, looking out for number one? 
It's not an easy thing because it's not a natural thing, as we've talked about already through this series, to pursue humility because repentance is painful. So have you ever thought about simply spending your time in prayer with the Lord, asking him for a humble spirit? Say, Lord, I I really do want this, and I know it's not natural. But I do want to imitate, I want to emulate these fine examples of Elizabeth and Mary. I want that humility to mark my life as well. Lord, wrap me up in your humility that you demonstrated when you came into our world in the lowliest of circumstances to put yourself beneath even me so that you could be lifted up and thereafter lift up all those who are lowly as well. The other thing that's worth noting in the exchange of Elizabeth and and Mary, notice where their joy was. Their excitement wasn't based on, and this is hard to imagine happening today, two two mothers, I was going to say young, but one was not young at all, uh, but two mothers expecting, getting together. Can you imagine just all of the planning and the preparation? What color are we going to paint the baby's room? Where are we going to register for the baby? Are we going to have a gender reveal party? What are we going to, oh, so much planning, so much preparation. None of that. Not an ounce of it was the source of their joy. Their joy was centered on how good God was and how good he is to keep his promise of sending a Savior into the world and how humbled they were that they should get to be a part of it. Take that with you this week and the days following of Christmas. You don't have to to make Christmas great. You don't have to plan and prepare so that it meets your expectations. Jesus already did that. Find joy as Elizabeth and Mary did in humbly bowing low to gaze again into that manger to see God's gift for you, that gift of humility, the gift by which he is able to promise that he will exalt, he will lift up the humbled. Amen.